0: listening to episode 327 of sci-fi tv rewatch my name's dave joined as always by my co-host wayne as we continue our examination of the bbc's jonathan strange and mr norrell and uh we're talking a little bit before we started recording the cold weather is coming i i noticed some of my facebook friends in the upper midwest are already dealing with snow so uh yeah i guess it's that time of the year thanksgiving right around the corner yeah i mean it's kind of that time of year but it's not really you know like we should
1: i, I feel like we shouldn't really be talking snow seriously in maryland in november it was well, we 70 shouldn't. degrees just a couple days ago you know
0: oh it was 68 today so i, yeah, I went out to right. bring the trash can back in and like oh i was expecting it to be cold this is warm so <laughs> and you know like you i always judge the weather based on athletics Oh man, I would kill to have this weather for softball season, and you mm-hmm. know, for, in your case, for <laughs> lacrosse or field hockey, yeah. or yeah. I guess it's just lacrosse and field hockey for you, right, right.
1: these days? Yeah, well, you know, know, ice stuff. hockey, but you know, it doesn't really, get yeah, affected by the, the the weather outside, right? Your wife still except that my basketball. son is like, oh, I, uh, yeah, yeah, she still coach basketball. The okay. so Brendan's like, oh, you know, I really wanted it to snow, and now it doesn't look like it's going to snow. I'm like, dude. I don't want it to snow. You have a hockey game tomorrow. I have to drive all the way out to Bel Air in the snow. Like, no, I don't want it to snow. Thank you very much.
0: Guess there's not much we can do about it. And speaking True. of snow, there's plenty of snow in the episode we're about to talk about. There, and and I always indeed. wonder. Nice segue, was it- Dave. Yeah, well, I mean, was it snowing when they filmed? Uh, you know. Anyway, we'll get to that in a second. want to thank our patrons. As always, we really appreciate your commitment to the podcast. And, and you know, if you're not a patron but you participate on the Facebook group, uh, again, thank you for that. If you want to contact us with some feedback, questions, comments, the email is sci fi tv at gmail.com. Or you can go to the website and leave a voicemail using the leave voicemail tab record your own audio clip the way Fred does each week and send it to us as an attachment or join the Facebook group. Well, not or, do all of the above, but definitely join the Facebook group and get into the discussions there. All right, so uh, in the tip of the week slash what we're watching, I I guess I kind of have one of each, although the one's not really a tip, but uh, my wife and I have been watching the HBO miniseries Catherine the Great starring yeah, Helen so, Mirren uh, as Catherine oh you have yeah, yeah so yeah, yeah so uh, obviously this is one that one episode a week drops so the third episode's available It it's only four episodes so uh looking forward to that uh did oh, you notice also yeah it's only four uh also in the cast are Rory Kinnear who played the monster in Penny Dreadful uh, Oh, Richard Roxburgh. Uh, Rory
1: Kinnear is his when uh, Peter Capaldi, you know, was became Doctor Who, uh, Rory Kinnear was one of the names that was getting chucked about. So, oh, okay,
0: all right. And, and He was oh, also in the.
1: Uh, he was in the um, uh, the Bond movies, the most recent okay.
0: ones. Okay, and he was in something else that I've seen recently, and I meant to go look it up on IMDb, but but I forgot. Uh, Richard Roxborough is also in it, and and he's in a series called Rake that was one of my tip of the week a few months back. It's a Australian series where he's this uh, lawyer who's uh, a drug addict, alcoholic. He's just a mess, but he's brilliant and he can get it together long enough to uh, you know do what he needs to, but it's really a, a fun series. So uh, the other thing I'm looking forward to, I guess this is not really a tip, but yeah maybe a tip. Season three of the Crown. Is going to drop on Netflix November 17th. And we've got some cast changes because Olivia Coleman from Broadchurch is going to replace Claire Foy as Elizabeth. And Tobias Mendezzi from Outlander is going to replace Matt Smith as Prince we, Philip. So.
1: Oh, uh, is it just because they're getting older and they need older. Yes, actors? exactly. Yes, this was planned okay. all I'm along. Like, with their replacing. Elizabeth and Philip like uh, that's a pretty big cast change isn't it
0: yeah it is but, right. uh, okay. that that okay. was planned all along so, uh, Gotcha. anyway that's uh coming up this Sunday looking forward to it so what do you got
1: well I am um, you know I, I mentioned I think last week how I am just kind of totally immersed in the world of the watchmen and that is still the case I am really loving that the series. Um, I'm about three quarters of the way through the graphic novel again. Um, I'm just like a 16 year old kid again, just like so cool. I, you know it's it's like one of those shows that I, I, I watch each episode like three times. Wow. because you know? like, I'm like' I'll, like I watched the the newest episode last night. I think tonight I'm gonna we'll watch the previous episode and the new one. And then I'll probably just watch the new one again later on in the week. This is basically a way, So, here, and this actually segues into my next part. I think I'm done with Walking Dead. And you say, wait, how do those two things relate? I realized last week, I sat down and like, the watch them like, well, I could watch this episode of Watchmen for like the fourth time, or I could watch the new episode of Walking Dead, which I haven't seen at all. And I chose to watch Watchmen. So that's kind of like a light bulb saying, yeah, you, know, you really don't want to watch watching walking dead anymore, you know. Well, I will um, so say I you've
0: said you've said that before.
1: I have said that before, and I understand the the patterns of dependence that uh, that are obvious here, but uh I don't know, this time it might be for good, you know. I don't know. We we'll, we'll, we'll see. You never know why. But there's just right now I feel like there's a lot to watch right now, you know. Like I like Jack Ryan season 2. I'm only a couple episodes into that. The Man in the High Castle is going to be, its last season is coming back pretty soon. You know, I just, just, I don't know. Walking Dead just kind of just doesn't do it for me anymore. And like I just, like I said, I'm I'm finding myself rather watching almost anything else than that. And I still haven't watched last week's episode. So I think that says something.
0: Yeah. Well, it's funny because Michael and I, often struggle to come up with topics for our discussion episode on sci-fi fidelity. And one that was occurring to me because he and I have our two episode approach. When when we cover a show, we're just doing the first two episodes of that season. And for new shows, it occurred to me, well, what about, what are some of the shows that I just stopped after two? And what are some of the ones that I just had to binge Umbrella Academy, I had to binge. Uh, Russian Doll, which yeah. surprised me. No, I had to binge. But, you know, there certainly have been some that two episodes was plenty. Now, Michael typically likes to stay positive. So I think we're going to talk about the ones that we just really had to keep going. But I will say, I- I've seen the first two episodes for all mankind, which is one of the Apple Plus episodes. Uh, offerings that Mm -hmm. sci-fi fans are excited about and yeah i mean it's alternate history which i think at this point most people know going in the acting's good the story's good but uh, i don't know i'll probably keep going i'm not
1: hearing enthusiasm in your voice there dave yeah i
0: don't (laughs) know it's it's like so many shows these days it's like god can't you keep the damn social commentary out and they're trying to be subtle i get that but not subtle enough so uh, i don't know we'll, we'll see and, and the other one is an hbo series called his dark materials you, Ooh. you may have seen it yeah
1: um, no, i watched the first episode i read all okay. those books so i was really psyched oh, about that one
0: okay well michael and i are doing that one and he's psyched about it because he read all the books i yeah. didn't even know they existed but I-, I saw the first episode because as i'm sure you know the second episode just dropped uh yesterday tonight I believe you right? know again it, visually it's great the acting's good I I don't know. You it's know, probably dude, uh, one that the thing is the the, the the first
1: episode. It's it's just complete exposition. Once the story kicks in, you're going to be like, "Holy cow!" All I got to say is, "Armored Bear." I'm not going to say okay. any more, but just <laughs> Armored Bear, and and that's when it gets real, man. Um, yeah, I, actually, I, I that, that I meant to talk about. His dark materials rather than Watchmen again, uh, because I was, I you know, like I don't, you know, I didn't even know this was happening until a couple of weeks ago. I saw a trend, I'm like, what? You know, there's three books that I really liked. Actually, the third book my sister gave me for my birthday that the author had signed. Wow. Um, nice. So, um, yeah, I was, I, I'm really looking forward to it, but I, I didn't know it was happening. I, and, uh, so I didn't, I don't know what their plan is you know because i don't think they could do all three books in like one season so i don't know if they plan to do three seasons or whatever but anyway i was really psyched i was i was really happy because the the first episode at least very much was in line with what was in my brain as i read the golden compass which is the first of the three books so
0: cool so all right well you know i guess we can keep everybody updated on how we feel about it moving forward because again i have to watch the second episode and you know whether i continue or not uh, i guess remains to be seen but why don't we start talking some jonathan strange and mr norrell this is episode five arabella which aired june 14th 2015 and we talked last week and i know fred mentions it in his feedback about whether or not we're going to get to see the battle of waterloo and that's of course how we open waterloo. And, and and while uh, so i don't even know what that is but abba uh, really i definitely the fact that you know that is somewhat
1: <laughs> frightening oh come on man you gotta have a soft spot for abba uh
0: no. All right. Anyway, uh yeah, I mean, we know Jonathan experienced war previously, but the graphic nature of what we as the viewer see in this episode and what he sees is exponentially greater. And and when we see him just stunned and, and just covered in mud there at the end of the battle and Wellington comes up to him and uh, you know now what what are they going to have for us now after we've won this and we understand wellington's a soldier he, he's ready to move on to the next challenge which for him yeah. is probably armed conflict jonathan is just shell-shocked but fred brings up in his feedback whether or not we think he has ptsd and yeah you know in this scene as far as I can tell, he actually has a direct hand in killing men from the other side. Am I wrong?
1: Yeah. No. I'm wrong? Okay. No, no, no. You're right. (laughs) You said, am I wrong? So I said, no, you're not wrong. Okay. So yeah, you're you're absolutely right. He does kill people. That one guy with the ax, he, he has a big mud hand reach up and crush the
0: guy yeah and, and then those vines that strangle the enemy.
1: Yeah. And so you know, this ties in with you know we had mentioned way back, I think maybe episode two, which isn't that far back, but where I believe Sir Walter says, as a magician, could you kill people? And he said, you know, a magician might, but a gentleman never would. Well, he has definitely crossed that line here. Um, and we, who blames him, right? I mean, obviously there's no judgment here at all or anything. He's in the middle of a battle. He's in the middle of a war. He, he does what he has to do there, but it's, you know, the effects, I think we see the effects are, are, you know, obvious at first because he's shaking his hand and, you know, things like that. But even when he goes back home, I think he is a little bit darker, a little bit more of a brooder, um, and a little bit, like, all of a sudden, the, this big conflict with Mr. Norrell just is not that big a deal, you know.
0: Right. I mean, he's got Bell close at hand, but as you said, he just can't forget it. And then we get the flashback to, to the end of the battle. And, and in addition to the fact that his hand shakes, as you mentioned, the gray in his hair is yeah. much more pronounced. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. So the other thing... There was just one
1: thing you had said there. I I, I wanted to respond because I had my notes. So it's funny because Wellington says, the war's over. What do you think they'll do with us now? I'm like, well, Arthur, because that's his name. Arthur, I believe they're going to make you prime minister. So I think you're going to be okay. Uh, It's these other schlubs who aren't as wealthy as you are who might have a little bit of trouble adjusting after the war, but...
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and I like the alternate history approach that, that we, we've got here. Certainly Wellington is a real historical figure, as you as you mentioned. We know what's gonna happen with him next. Well I didn't. I'll take your word for it that what you just said is true. Yeah. It's totally uh, true. <laughs> I and you. when
1: he died, like people came and took locks of his hair. So they basically by the time they like found him, uh, he all his hair was ripped out. Wow. And I saw today his death mask because that was a thing. And it's, I mean, it's not like, I mean, he's just, he was like 83. So, you know, you think of Wellington as this like kind of virile, strong, commanding presence. And then when he died, he was this kind of
0: old guy with no teeth, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, to go back to Fred's question about ptsd i think it's a combination that yes he has ptsd in part from what he witnesses and in part and maybe the major part in how he sees his role in the deaths of other men and and uh and and well, the yeah, use of could, magic to cause that
1: right you can see during the battle that everyone's yelling "It's like oh, do this merlin 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 you know he's like He's trying to do about a thousand things at once. He's got a little like, I don't know, like pan or something that he's using to like literally block bullets um, as he's trying to also do magic and put out fires. And, you know, he's got like a million things at once and all the the soldiers are like all huddled up out of the way yelling at him to do stuff. It's, you know, like the pressure itself is certainly got to have a lasting impact.
0: Yeah. Now, you mentioned the fact that he doesn't see his conflict with Norrell as being as important as it once was. And now that he's home, he he claims he's going to give up practical magic for theoretical. And he's writing a series of books on English magic, which, of course, Norrell sees as an attack on him and everything he believes. He thinks it's dangerous, which I think that's a going to be a tough sell to make but bell shows him drawings of the king's roads that she's drawn apparently from his descriptions and i'm thinking more than her artistic talent which is clearly good boy he must do a tremendous job describing because even he says yeah these are amazing but we've seen those scenes in in some cases so so we know that they are yeah uh, pretty amazing yeah yeah definitely um you know so so he meets with the publisher to discuss this three-volume work that's going to expose english magic which as we said much to norrell's displeasure dangerous and seditious he says you've made an enemy of us sir as lascell tells the publisher and this little core group of norrell is so fascinating because I, I can't quite grasp what Lachelle's all about. I mean, uh, Childermass again. I think is the voice of reason, and and that scene. Uh, Can we talk, sir, without the servants? <laughs> like, are you kidding me? Yeah, that's yeah, that's 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 very rude.
1: <laughs> um, well, and also he says something like. Uh, Mr. Norrell's like, well, if LaSalle should leave me, then I'd be all alone. And, you know, children have to be like, WTF, man. You know, like- yeah,
0: yeah. And, and then, of course, the history and practice of English magic is a critical success for uh, for Jonathan. Norrell tries to convince Wellington that his book is dangerous, which is probably a tough sell given what Jonathan has done for the military because I, I think it's certainly clear at the battle of waterloo that that he gets some credit from wellington for his part in that even though we don't necessarily hear wellington say it i think just that conversation uh, that that you mentioned what do you think they'll do with us now it, it's you know talking to a brother in arms there but the other thing that i thought was interesting norrell's told that the men in the north are rioting as machines replace their jobs, and that the, the the word is that the Raven King is returning, and I don't know exactly what that's all about. You know, I I guess I'm missing something there. Um, I mean, I understand the machines replacing their job, but but even at this time, it's not as if these machines were viewed as magic. You know, like like right. a Stone Age man might. Look at 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 something yeah. like that. So, um I'm I just not sure how that really becomes important, other than the fact that Norrell has no idea what anybody's talking about. Well, don't you read the paper? No, I don't. Yeah, L- like he's just in his little magical world all the time.
1: Yeah, um this it seems like it's kind of like the the Luddite revolt, which is basically textile workers at about this time, I believe it was. Uh, going destroying these machines that were making the textiles, but but yeah, it's it's this is classic fake news. I think you know, like they're putting that like oh well, this is you know they're trying to put it on Jonathan, you know, and, yeah. and, and that you, and you're right. There's there's not a, a connection between the two, but but they're trying to make one because this what when you're trying to you know, smear someone, um, those are the type of things you say. You you point to the bad things happening and say, well, you know, these things didn't happen before, and now you see, you know, John the Strange is talking about the Raven King, and look what's happening. You know, but uh, yeah. the, the two are not related, obviously.
0: Okay. And, and, you know, then when he questions Jonathan, that is, about what he and Norrell have really done compared to magicians of the Golden Age. You know, they turned themselves into mice and rabbits, and what it's like – huh it's almost like Jonathan is blinded by you know a past that is probably so romanticized so exaggerated as to be you know to use a a term you just used almost fake news and he can't see the powerful things that he has certainly been able to do uh, again norrell's power uh, to me it remains to be seen i, I forget who it was maybe sir walter w- when they're mentioning that uh, he still's not finished with the uh the beacons and yeah. i think we talked about it at the time i wonder if they're actually even in place or he's just waving his arms around and yeah. you know telling people to take him at his word so i i, I just don't know but i i Find it interesting that Jonathan's so ready to just buy into this golden age, uh, I guess way of thinking, and and maybe it's a reaction to what he saw at the war. Uh, you know, I don't know.
1: No, that that's a fair assessment. Actually, I didn't even think about that, but yeah, that's that's definitely a possibility. I, I think it's just, I mean, yeah, part of, that's part of it. I also think he's just has this natural curiosity that compels him to like you know just like our best scientists and everything to to try and discover and figure out why things are the way they are the the opposite side of that coin of course though is if you get too enamored of progress and and just scientific discovery in this case magical discovery um you might be blind to the potential dangers, hazards or ethical considerations that go along with it. And Jonathan is just that. And I, I, you know, this whole thing with what's happening to Arabella, his wife is <clears throat> I feel a, a a big part largely because Jonathan doesn't think about the dangers that could be out there. He doesn't consider that this fairy guy is trying to destroy him um and so he's not on his guard for this stuff at all
0: yeah and, and I, again <laughs> we tend to do this from time to time it, it's like jonathan's lamar jackson and norrell is joe flacco it, it's like oh, does joe. lamar not Oh, well, i love joe but 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 again lamar it's it's like you watch him, and he's just phenomenal. Yeah. But we, we've we seen other quarterbacks like him, not to his level, I don't think. But it's almost like you know he's going to get hurt <laughs> down the road. Yeah. And it's you almost just cringe because he's just reacting, just like Jonathan does. I mean, he, he just reacts in some cases. Norrell is so very studied and... and uh, you know, by the book uh, again, the way Joe was, and you know, for you guys that aren't NFL fans, sorry for the, uh, uh, you know, the football reference. So I'll stop I'm there. Sorry, you don't like football. Yeah, but uh, but the other thing, but, but you know, well, there's
1: chill- also another thing. To to I I know, our, maybe our audience might not be a bunch of uh, football watchers, but um, but that that there's another element to that is that Lamar Jackson is just this this absolute natural. Talent, yes, yes. And he just can do things that other people can't do, and he just naturally sees that. And you know, and that's that's a, another way that that they're similar because you know Jonathan like that can just he just
0: has this natural talent. He can just do it, and Norrell can't. Right. So, all right. Well, we'll leave the football there for now. Um, you know, we're going to talk <laughs> a little bit more about shoulder mass later, but he tries to convince Norrell to end the feud with strange. And, and as said earlier, Childermas is, is like the voice of reason here, which is so amusing to me because of the way we saw children in episode one. And he still got that look to him, but the more we experience him, the more we learn about him, that's not really who he is. Um, so I, I want to talk about, arabella next surprise uh, for an episode titled arabella most of it revolves around her and, and jonathan's reaction so we get arabella's kidnapping and bell 2.0's arrival i i really love i call way- arabella oh like fake, i like it fake nice. arabella yeah Farabella. nice the way they edited contrasting scenes going back and forth mm-hmm. and you know sometimes i'm not a fan of that kind of editing but here it was just perfectly done and you know strange tells bell that he plans to continue this quiet life with his wife and she asks about a child we should see what we could do about it and i'm thinking like bell you saucy minx i like it yeah. <laughs> uh, so we'll, yeah, we'll, well see. Well, and it.
1: that's such a. You know, we've talked how much like we're just pulling for this couple and how we just want them to to you know be happy and everything. But we just know that, that, that even as we're watching it, we know that this is one of those scenes where the couple is totally happy and talking about their future and having kids and all this stuff. You just know ah this. You know, I mean, we know that the the gentleman made this moss oak version of her, which we know that's for no good reason. So we know that there's devious forces out there that are conspiring against the both of them. So it's it's you know it's it's both, I guess, bittersweet would be the word. You know, like we we uh, we really like this couple and, and want them to be happy, but we also know that there's other forces that are You know, working against them, that are going to intervene and and maybe prevent them from being happy.
0: Okay. Well, what do you think about the scene then when Mister Hyde encounters uh, the gentleman's version of Belle walking in the middle of a snowstorm, wearing black? And I'm I'm thinking, all right, is this just too obvious that she's wearing black? You know, is it like the Luke Skywalker in white, Darth Vader in black. Uh, I think Jonathan even mentions that he doesn't like her in black, but he never questions, you know, I don't remember you having a black dress or a black gown or whatever it is, but regardless, um, Jonathan has no reason to believe Hyde because his wife is in the house. So, you know there's no reason to take this as anything other than mistaken identity so
1: which again i mean not to judge him and he's a fictional character anyway but he's not he's not seeing the signs right that's a solid sign there this guy says i saw your wife i've known her her whole life i know exactly what she looks like he's like no that's stupid like she's in the house Well, right, right away there, he should be like, wait, so why does this guy who knows my wife, who knows exactly what she looks like, how does he see her out there when I know she's been here? You know, he doesn't even broach that subject. He doesn't even ask that question because he doesn't understand what he's messing with. You know, he doesn't understand the full danger of this magic that to him, he just sees as some kind of like academic exercise
2: yeah
0: and and then of course lady pole who really is one of my favorite characters in the episode yeah gotta love her and she's got visions of something bad happening to arabella insists Segundus warn jonathan and and bell but she's still speaking in what we think at this point are nonsensical sentences but they discover that you know what these really remind me of nursery rhymes that I wrote down, I, I, I guess, when I was younger, and, and I can't think of what that guy. His name's. Not Honeywell, Honeyfoot, I, Honeyfoot, Honeyfoot, right?
1: Yeah, Honeyfoot uh, coming, coming to uh, stepping up again, just like last week. You know, he shows up with the the gun to you know tell Childermas to piss off, and and now he's the one who realizes that uh, Lady Pole is
0: not spouting nonsense. Right, that there's a pattern. Now, they they haven't figured out the pattern at this point, but I, I like how all of that unfolds. And, and again, the the role that Segundus and Honeyfoot play in all of this, we don't see them often, but when we do see them, they generally play a fairly important role in, in the episode and in the overall story arc. So the next morning, like you you say, Jonathan didn't really – Uh, pursue anything he gets up wakes to an empty bed Eh, okay and then we see him breakfasting alone tells the servant uh, can you go find my wife no no sense of alarm no sense that anything's out of the ordinary but Hyde returns claims he saw Belle in the hills and then of course Jonathan's using the bowl to see where she is and and you know She's not in England, Wales, Scotland. Well, we know where she is. We know she's on the King's Road. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I I guess the one thing we haven't really learned, how does Stephen get to the King's Road?
1: Yeah. So we don't don't really
0: see how he takes Arabella in the carriage to the King's Road. So, does he like drive through this gigantic mirror that's, yeah, maybe, you know, hidden somewhere out in the woods? But, well, but regardless, thing with Stephen is
1: WTF, Stephen. Like, you know, now yeah, you're kidnapping people. Like, yeah, was, was we it not you bad enough guy. last week? Yeah, exactly. Well, he seems like one, he seems like a sympathetic character, but you know, it's really hard to to think that now that he totally kidnapped Arabella.
0: Well, you know, we t- often talk about these morally gray characters, and I don't think it's fair to say that Norrell is one of them, because I think he honestly believes what he says. Now, granted, he may be a bit of a narcissist and want credit where maybe a lot of it should go to Jonathan, but I think he really That's believes a bit of a coward, too, you know? Oh, well, yeah, yes. And, and, and Jonathan, I certainly don't think is morally gray, nor is... You know, but but steven yeah and, and i find that fascinating because he has gone from this character that we thought was good to one as you said is kidnapping but yet he still does and says things that let us know he hasn't completely gone over to the dark side
1: Right. And well like,
0: and as segundis
1: says you know he like you know he's like basically what's what's up with the rose in your mouth man you know, so we understand that, yeah, he is under the, the spell of the gentleman, but still, you know, it's just,
0: this one's tough to reconcile. Okay, well, wh- one thing that I guess we should reconcile, because it's something that Fred brings up in his feedback later on, when Bell 2.0 shows up, and of course her hair's all wet and frozen she has no coat on she you know she looks like death warmed over to use a phrase my grandmother used to uh use fairly frequently but i was surprised at first that she could speak because i wondered if it was going to be one of these golem deals where you know they they live they breathe but they don't speak but One of the first things she says, do you accept? Gollum. What would I say? Gollum? Gollum. Oh, that's like Lord of the Rings. Sorry. Yeah. Do you accept accept me as your wife? Do you renounce all other wives? And uh, Jonathan, now, on the one hand, he may just simply be happy to have his wife home. Sure. Ostensibly safe and not really think about the weirdness of those two questions right but fred brings up did i think it was vampire like you know the whole idea that a vampire has to be invited in to a home and i guess that didn't occur to me and fred now that you bring it up it still doesn't occur to me so i'm just gonna (laughs) have to take a pass on on that i mean what did you think
1: well, I, I actually kind of I'm, – I'm, I see what Fred's saying there. I'm kind of with him a little bit on that one. That's what I thought, like, that there is some kind of trick, some nicety of formality that you have to go through in order for them to, to get what they want, which is obviously to have Arabella trapped in, in the fairy's world. Again, in this situation, you can't really judge the guy. But again, this is kind of a product – of Jonathan not understanding what he's up against, not understanding the dangers that go along with this type of magic that he's pursuing. You know, like, this This basically... I mean, though it doesn't really... It's not really his fault, because the Thistledown general, Gentleman gets hip to Jonathan and Arabella because Norrell called him, right? So it's really kind of all Norrell's fault. Um, but again, and then that, that cowardly aspect of Norrell where he just ghosts Jonathan, right? He just doesn't
0: reply and doesn't show up to help, which surprised me, especially with the offer to cease and desist that, that Jonathan lays out for him. So, yeah, that that's, again, I guess that says a lot about Norrell, or is it just simply the recognition on his part that, you know what, I screwed up the first time with Lady Pole, I haven't really learned anything in the interim that would lead me to think I won't do the same bringing Arabella back. I guess the difference is Jonathan has skill as well. And and I guess the idea is that the two of them working together, but again, you mentioned him being a coward and to me, that's certainly an instance of his cowardice there. Yeah. Now on the other hand, arabelle's brother henry who comes to bury her although i I wonder and i guess it's really not important does he come to see her because he hears she's you know ill or does he come after learning that she's dead it it doesn't matter but when he tells jonathan do you think she would want you to bring her back yeah and of course the answer is no she wouldn't right But Jonathan just says, "Well, I want her back." Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, you you know, the other thing I don't understand is the gentleman's statement that your husband traded you for a piece of wood. I I, I guess I just don't get what did Jonathan do. Jonathan hasn't done anything. He accepted two point oh. So that's yeah. Well,
1: she got him to say, "Do you renounce all other women?" And he said that not. Think you know? Think that? Well, I'm just talking to my wife. Yeah, of course, I do. Um, that's a little weird. You're asking me that, but you know, yeah, of course I do. But he it, then inadvertently, you know, pledges himself to the piece of wood, and then in the fairy world or the fairy rules of you know love and warfare, whatever, you know, rejects Arabella and 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 allows the the gentleman to to take her.
0: Yeah well uh, well that's certainly true and uh, you know and, and then when Stephen later tells Lady Pole of Arabella's death and Lady Pole responds she's so very very far away she knows Bell's not really dead Bell 1.0 and segundus asks Stephen about prompting her to speak in the in fairy tales so that they can try to study and try to perhaps make sense of you know, or her her speech, because uh, as we said, there is a pattern to it. They just haven't figured it out. He refuses permission. Segundus decides to go ahead anyway. But, you know, as he prepares to let Lady Pole explore her visions, you know, we see Stephen trying to get her to refuse. And I guess we know why that is. I mean, because you know he knows what the truth is he knows what his part is and you know she starts talking about folk stories about the huntsman and the rabbit hole and you know they're trying to make meaning of it and and then of course uh there's a knocking at the door i guess one of the questions i have and i don't know that we have an answer because you you know the other part of the story revolves around jonathan's decision to bring 2.0 back to life and and this emotional descent that he's fallen into which i think is more than simply his ptsd it's now the loss of his wife well yeah um you know the room is a mess uh you know when henry gets there and i guess at that point we're not really sure she's dead or is she just sleeping but then of course henry henry asks about a funeral so yeah
1: yeah right because at that point we're like well she's in, been in bed for a while now. So she's dead. Like there's certain things that start to happen to bodies that at this point that, that, um, and, you know, Fred mentions it Like, doesn't really seem to be happening to Arabella's corpse.
0: Right. You know? Yeah. We, we talked about Norrell refusing to help and, you know, in, in some ways the, the fact that he couldn't even respond with a no he just ignored uh jonathan Childermas feels he should help and then of course lachelle is in there and then again i still don't know exactly what he's up to uh, is it simply about money and prestige and and yeah. glomming on to yeah. moral and, and yeah and, that's exactly uh, what it's all about. you know do not allow your goodness to be used against you what Okay, I guess. But, you know, Jonathan continues to try as Stephen and the gentleman look on. And and I love that line when the gentleman, he almost, I love that line when the gentleman tells Stephen that, ah, he was trying to summon me. And Stephen's like, well, he did, you're here. yeah. (laughs) You know, let's give the guy more credit than uh, you're willing to give him. And it's almost like the gentleman's like, huh, okay. And he just, you know, moves yeah. on but
1: well at, but. at that point i thought that maybe jonathan was pretending that he couldn't hear them and you know that he is working some kind of angle here but uh that's not the case but before you could you know when the, the gentleman was there jonathan could kind of hear them and they they were a little bit freaked out by that but uh, in this case it seems like jonathan can't hear them at all and so is just still absolutely clueless as to um what's really going
0: on here right and and then we have to go back well how come norrell could see him and i guess the answer is that because the gentleman wanted him to see him right so right
1: the well same reason arabella was able to see him and everything
0: okay and you know as you said it's been seven days since bell died and and you know whether she should have been decomposed more than she was it, it, you know regardless please stop, respect her, respect yourself, Henry says. And he decides to finally let her go. They bury her in that snowstorm. Yeah, okay. Let's just pause there for a
1: second. There's no effing way that that would happen back then. It's not like they had being able to dig a grave and bury a person in the middle of winter when it's cold enough that it's snowing. So That ground's frozen solid. There's no way they were able to dig a ditch, and I don't think they did at the time. I think if when people died in the winter, and in fact, I think it still happens today that in colder places, uh, when when people die during the winter, they just. In fact, I, I know that happened because it was with my uncle, who died in, in Buffalo two years ago. Um, they had to wait till the spring to actually have the um, the burial, because it was too cold to, to dig a hole in the ground, and that's with, you know, modern machinery. So there's there's I'm I'm hitting the BS button on this one. I know okay. it's a nitpick, but I'm just doing it. Okay. All
0: right. Now, one of the things towards the end of the episode and and we've mentioned mass and how he seems to be the voice of reason, he makes it clear that he understands the value of having two opinions. And, you know, he mentions he's been in naval service for 18 years. Uh you know, we've got that one scene where sir walter uh, has the drawing that jonathan gave him to give to lady pole because uh, obviously he knows that bell and his wife were friends and and now of course norrell and lachelle and, and Childermas can see it so it, it kind of makes it real for all of them jonathan Explains to mass how he travels to the King's Road and how they've been hidden behind mirrors. And and I love how he acknowledges that mass is a magician. And yeah. I half expected Childermas to deny it. He doesn't say anything in the affirmative, but he doesn't deny it because he has learned under. I don't want to say Norrell's tutelage because Norrell really hasn't taught him anything he's learned, he's picked up on his own. But uh, again, I think that's pretty cool. And I, I guess that whole question about the mirrors, and we've asked it for a couple of weeks now, what has happened to open up this pathway to the King's Roads? Is it something that Jonathan did? Is it something that Norrell did? The, the well, two of that yeah, together? I, a,
1: I feel like Norrell's summoning of the the gentleman i'm not i don't know for sure but i feel like that is kind of maybe the thing that opened everything
0: else up okay and and then his proposal that children mass come to work for him as a pupil and an assistant i absolutely love and he says well i wouldn't make a very good pupil better than you or i forget how he says it but (laughs) implying that jonathan was a, a terrible student jonathan's well a Students should be able to ask questions, of course. And he wasn't a terrible student. He just that he threatened right. his teacher. And yeah, yeah.
1: You know, we- also he you know, he says, you know, it won't be any of this servant BS. You know, you'll be my student, not my servant. You know, and and so you know he he promises to treat children mass with respect, which obviously Norrell
0: does not do at all. Right. And then that deal that Childermass raises is that if you win, you know, I'm going to basically work against you. If he wins, I'll take up your cause because he sees the value of two opposing opinions. And I love that Jonathan recognizes the value of that and and they shake hands. That was just such a great scene, you know.
1: Yeah, that was awesome. And I like, you know, Childermas basically saying that I am going to, whatever cause is the losing cause, I'm going to champion that. And I'm thinking, wow, this dude must be a sports fan from Buffalo.
0: Yep. And uh, of course he can't leave well enough alone. Yeah. (laughs) He can't leave well enough alone. He goes through the mirror, ends up at Norrell's, gets thrown out into the street. I guess he throws a rock misses like dude no i i know what's going to happen of course it happens he breaks the window he gets arrested but it sets us up for the the final scene which was just freaking awesome Uh, that he uses he uses the puddle as a mirror
1: yeah it's great because grant is there to get him out of there um you know throwing around wellington's name which obviously has a big you know fair amount of pull so as the door is opening we see jonathan in the the window of the door and then the door opens and so the door obscures the camera for a moment by the time the door passes by and we can see the room
0: jonathan's gone yeah who's awesome yeah yep so all right anything else you want to bring up before we listen to fred's feedback
1: well just one thing um you know how he'd said Look, look forward to that. What did you think about the battle of water? Was it was it what you thought it would be? Was it? I know Fred said he was looking forward to it. I know you don't like big battle scenes, so I figured this is actually perfect from you because the battle scene itself only lasted a couple minutes and not like you know a, a sixty minutes of a Game of Thrones episode.
0: Yeah. Oh no, I thought it was wonderfully done. I mean, it it was graphic as you know. I mean, as graphic as I expected a series like this to to go for you know we see the horror of the war we see jonathan's role i I just thought it was really wonderfully done i don't know a lot about the battle of waterloo itself so you know anything that wasn't necessarily historically accurate i don't know but no i i I really like the way they did that and uh
1: so when uh and honeyfoot are starting to try and decipher what lee pole is saying Totally reminded me of the best episode of Star Trek: The Next Generation ever, um, where uh, Picard is stuck on this planet with this guy from the alien race, and they—he um, he doesn't understand what the guy is saying. Um, he, he understands the words, but he doesn't understand what he's trying to say. And then he realizes that the guy speaks in like in, in like metaphors and and, and in stories. So uh yeah, you know, like says Shaka when the wall fell and, and so when Picard finally figures out what shaka when the wall fell, what that means, then all of a sudden they're be able to communicate and they're actually able to avert a disaster, uh, because they figure out they, they realize what was happening before the, the their two sides were almost at war and almost about to fight each other, but is over miscommunication and everything. So
0: So you're saying shout the- out there. You're saying the author stole this whole line from uh, Star I'm Trek. I'm not
1: saying they stole it. I'm just saying it reminded me yeah, of okay. a really good episode of Star Trek TNG. All
0: right, All right. cool. Anything else? Uh, no, I don't think so. Okay. All right, well, let's hear from Fred, and we'll be right back.
2: Hello, Dave and Wayne. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for... Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, chapter 5. First off, indeed you were right, after listening to your podcast about episode 4, I liked it a little better. You're right that discussing it with others and pointing out details which you perhaps missed or didn't appreciate so much makes it often better. Shortly want to come back to episode 4 where we see the painting of the Raven King and it says... John Usk-Glass, 1110 till 1434. I think it's strange that this guy lived for more than 300 years. And the other strange thing is that they talked about that the magic in England is gone since 300 years with the loss of the Raven King. But 1434 plus 300 is 1734... So, from 1734, it's quite some time, to 1810. So, roughly another 75 years. So, when the Raven King is gone, and the magic would be gone as well, it would not be 300 years, but 375 years. So, how do you see this difference? Okay, about episode 5. This episode I watched on my telephone on my flight from Atlanta to Baltimore, just before I met you, doing my homework, just in time, as most students do. And I took some notes, which I will discuss now. And of course, I did rewatch uh, some scenes to look at it again on a bigger screen. So in this episode we have a Waterloo war scene, last podcast i said that would give some nice special effects and nice magic and yes that was true on the other hand all this mud and all these dead people it really shows the awfulness of war also afterwards because we see jonathan having his shaking hands afterwards so does he have a kind of ptsd at the end of the war scene we see Lord Wellington standing there talking to, uh, to Jonathan and the other officer and says, well gentlemen, the war is over, what do you think they will do with this now? Well if you go to Wikipedia and you look up Wellington you will find out that he has done a lot of battles and afterwards he got into politics and he did that until a very high age. So that's actually the answer. Then we see a scene with Arabelle and Jonathan and Arabelle is showing him her drawings and it's about the king's road. Probably these are illustrations for Jonathan's book and he probably told her what will be in the book and she made drawings for it, but I I didn't get it completely. Next scene was the publisher to tell Norell the truth and that he shouldn't monopolize magic And LaSalle's book was sold well until Strange reviewed it. And LaSalle said, you made an enemy of us. And I think the publisher was not very much impressed by that. Then there was a a scene with very nice cinematography. You see the bridge with the carriage going over it, the ships and a Capitol-like building. Actually, I saw one like it in in St. Louis. Then of course we see the moss oak witch, I don't know if she's a witch, but the woman that just looks like Arabelle. And you can expect that she will take her places somehow, and that is indeed what happens later. Then we have a scene with Lady Paul who is warning that what's going to happen to Arabelle. And Honeyfoot and Secundus, they are really starting to listen to Lady Paul. Arabella is abducted by Stephen. And I said, her place is taken by this Moss Oak witch. And I actually saw that quite coming. She says, am I your wife? And then Jonathan says, of course you are. Do you accept me as your wife? It it, it all sounds a little bit to me vampire-like. In the sense of a vampire cannot enter your house until you have invited him or her. And this is a bit the same in the sense of as soon as you say i'm your wife i can f- fulfill that role and of course jonathan is tricked here because he doesn't know that she isn't his wife then arabella is at lost hope and then we get a scene with the dance and the fairy aka the gentleman says your husband sold me you for a piece of wood perhaps i lost that what was that piece of wood I think Honeyfoot is much brighter than you initially think and uh, getting back to these uh, fairies of Lady Paul to find out. Funny thing is that Norrell has a whole library but he reads no papers because they were discussing with the prime minister that the Jonanites lost their jobs to the new machines so this is indeed a reference to the industrial revolution the connection to the Raven King that is coming I don't get completely and of course Norrell is blaming Jonathan uh, for everything which is a quite devious way of doing then we get a scene where Henry is so Arabella's brother is visiting Jonathan and Jonathan is saying to Henry who is crying do not take on it's all right Uh, yeah hello all right his sister died then we get more scenes with the devious Norelle. He spreads the rumor that Jonathan killed his wife with black magic. So Norelle is very, very afraid of what Jonathan does with the magic. And actually his main reason, and that's perhaps not even a bad reason, is wants to keep magic a secret because it's so dangerous. Another not nice interaction was LaSalle putting pressure on Norel. I could not longer be your friend, if you don't listen to me, etc. And of course this pressure is high because Norrell stated somewhere earlier that uh, LaSalle is the only one he has, which I think is actually not true because he has childer mass. I think the, f- the funniest scene of the episode is when Stephen is talking to the fairy and the fairy is summoned by Jonathan. He is attempting to summon me, that ignorant fool. And then Stephen says, that may be. After all, you are here. I have a little nitpick. Henry is talking to Jonathan. Jonathan is still trying to revive Arabelle, or actually the Moss Oak Witch, after seven days. I think she looks a little too good. And even without refrigeration. If we see how the Italian soldiers looked in the mill, they looked much worse. On the other hand, she is a moss oak witch and not a normal person. And then we get Arabella's funeral, which has a very nice cinematography scene there coming down the snowy hill with the casket. And later Jonathan stands there alone, very nicely filmed. Stephen is then brushing off Secundus and Honeyfoot with the idea that they should Write down all the stories Lady Paul tells, because then they could get a idea what she' is really meaning. What I don't understand is that although Stephen is so against it that later he is there when they start doing to write down everything Lady Paul says and looking it up in all kinds of magic books. and then we get the scene with the street magician, the madman in a cart. I have a message for you to Stephen, you nameless slave. How does he actually know that Stephen is a nameless slave? But, okay, whatever. And one very good thing at the end is that Childermas is actually telling Norrell the truth. Call a halt to this bloody stupid void. It won't end well for the both of you. So, that's what we can look forward to. Is it really true what Charlemagne says there, that it won't end well for them both, or what will happen at the end of this series? Well, this was my homework for episode five. Greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands. All right, now,
0: one of the things Fred brings up is about John Use glass and how did he live for more than 300 years. Fred? No math questions on this podcast. <laughs> um yeah, we don't do math. Yeah, uh, you know, why is English magic dead for 300 years and not uh what did Fred say? 370? I don't know. I don't know, you know. So
1: yeah. Well, I I, mean, I think it's it's possible that you know, for 75 years after John Glass you know, disappeared or whatever, that uh, maybe magic held on for a little bit longer or something like that. So
0: Yeah. Um. <laughs> uh, and the reason I'm laughing is it's uh, the, the question he brings about uh, what piece of wood and, and he says I think I'm missing something here and, and I'm like trying to avoid any, uh, any any wood jokes so maybe I should just move on <laughs> he yeah. sold you to me in exchange for a piece of wood <laughs> alright maybe we should just move on <laughs> But I, I think the the idea. I think it goes back to your explanation of Bell two point asking if he accepts her as his wife, and, and that's yeah. So, so yeah. you know, as you said, I I I see that as the bargain, if you will, that um, you're accepting me as your wife, even though I'm really not your wife, and you're disavowing any other wives, which includes your real wife. So. You know, in in the gentleman's twisted way, that's the piece of wood that. Right. Uh,
1: oh yeah. Oh yeah. It is a piece. Well, because she is yeah. a, a piece of sure. wood. Sure. Yeah. Right. Sure. And so right. Jonathan gets wood. Yeah.
0: And- <laughs> 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 okay. I knew one of us would.
1: But I I couldn't resist. I know you were um, just you were being the gentleman, but I just went went for it there. Um, yeah. But uh, you know another thing that actually that that shows is the the fairy, is, the gentleman I should say I'm sorry, I, he just doesn't care, like he just plays with people right like yeah yeah for him getting Arabella is is like you know getting a a, a new DVD or something like that you know it's it's hardly a bother to him and um, he he doesn't care how devastating it is for for jonathan really you know it's all yeah. like it seems like it's all just a game for him
0: yeah now now the other thing that he brings up that that we kind of danced around a little bit has to do with Stephen and when segundus and honeyfoot ask permission to study you know this gibberish or what they think it is at first and he refuses permission and then we see in a later scene that that they're all with lady pole and and they seem to be studying her and steven's in attendance so uh, what's the deal is is this him going against what the gentleman would want or is this a conscious moral decision on his part that he knows it was wrong and this is his chance to make up for it which is kind of what i think i i think at the end of the day steven's a good guy he's just gotten you know pulled in with um, you know with the dark side
1: yeah it, it potentially he's really not acting of his own will but you know yeah i mean lady pole has the rose over her mouth too and she is using her every effort that she can to resist the, the gentleman and try to to fight it but, you know, we, we also talked before, like, Stephen has a whole different set of, like, his life is not Lady Paul's life, you know. So while it might be easy for us to judge him in that, we also have to remember that he's a black man in Georgian England. You know, it's not like his place in society is even remotely comparable to Lady Paul's.
0: Well, that's true. And I think that's something that we tend to forget from time to time because he, he does have a, a level of importance but not all the way i guess so now right. the last thing that fred brings up that i i think is important has to do with uh that guy that uh, i don't think we know who it is but he, he wheels up uh this guy in the back of his cart, and he's asking Segundus and Honeyfoot if they will take in you know uh, another uh, mad you know uh, an- another person suffering from madness, and while they don't say yes or no, they come out to investigate. Fred asks, how this guy knows that Stephen is a nameless slave. Well the gentleman. You know,
1: he's, he's the, he's the, the street ma- magician. Well, he is, but from before, I don't, I don't think he's a plant. I just think he is what he showed earlier before is he has the ability to, to see things that others can't,
0: you know, that. Okay. So he was the guy while, with the tarot cards earlier. Right? Yeah.
1: Yep. Okay. Yep. Um, you know, and, and so he's, he's able to, he, he is privy to things and, and also shows that, he's not one of these charlatans that Norrell spoke of when he, you know, so disdainfully tried to outlaw street magic, um, thinking that they were just guys trying to rip people off. But you know, this guy's actually, you know, he's got some talent. He's got, there's something there.
0: Okay. He knows things. He knows things. Okay. All right. Uh, anything else about Fred's feedback that, uh, we haven't addressed. Okay. All right, cool. Uh, Fred, again great images good questions and you know we'll wait to hear what you've got to say about episode six next week yeah we only got two episodes left yeah here we are yeah gonna have to figure out what we're doing next again so uh seems, yeah. i hate
1: figuring out what we gotta do next <laughs> i know <laughs> okay
0: yeah maybe we should have a poll
1: oh there's an idea
0: all right, well, let's go ahead and leave it there. And, and that's going to do it for this episode of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. want to thank you for joining us. Love to hear what you think about Jonathan Strange, Mr. Norrell, Dark. You know, we keep bringing up Dark because there's still so much out there. And, and you know, I, I, I keep looking, uh, you know, online for various things. And, and the one thing I've noticed is that people get caught up in these instagram photos i can't remember the actor's name you'll probably um uh the, the actor that plays uh, ulrich, uh oh, adult, ulrich yeah and it's like oh there's a picture of him in this in the time travel chair and all it's like dude it doesn't mean anything it's it's just <laughs> him on set sitting in the chair taking a picture i, I mean at least that's what i think but anyway i it might have been taking
1: a dump yeah <laughs> yeah
0: Uh, we'd encourage you guys to join the Facebook group share your thoughts with the Sci-Fi TV Rewatch community if you're already a member spread the word emails to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch at gmail.com and we'll be back next week to talk about episode 6 of Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell but until then
1: so I got a question for you about next week Dave okay okay All right. so next week can we talk without the servants present sir